Hello, and thank you for spending another afternoon here with us at Growing Up Crazy. And I did make a promise. I did say that today would be the day that I went ahead and talked about why I've reverted back to Christianity, or at least a Christian model for the way I perceive the universe. And that goes back to a Growing Up Crazy story that I had when I was about 16. Um, it began in geometry class, of all things. I had to leave geometry class and then eventually settle at my grandparents' house, my grandfather's house. And this will be a two-part series because the story really does take place unfolds in two different parts, one in which I went to what I can only call hell and then was rescued from that place. And then when I was risen up out of that, where I experienced what I would call, I guess, heaven. And so this is my story of heaven and hell and what happened then. And it still stumps me to this day, to be totally honest, because like I said before, and what I've said many times is that really all we have is, is the event. And then we have the description of the event after the fact. So this is my description of the event after the fact and what I believe this symbology meant, and what these experiences meant, although your guess is as good as mine, ultimately, when it comes down to it. But having molded over and having meditated on it quite a bit, uh, this is what I came to. And you'd probably be surprised if you listen to any of the other previous episodes, because I grew up in a very Southern Baptist Christian household, and that created a lot of angst, specifically surrounding religion. And and most of the people that I know that are kind of anti-religion have this exact same shared history. People that weren't raised in this kind of household just don't really feel one way or another about religion. They just sort of go by the gut or they go by truth or, or what they've experienced in their life. But people that have been brought up where religion was really used as a club, like a tool for persecution, we all have this sort of like head shyness, this, this angst when it concern, comes to religion. And I definitely uh, was no exception. <clears throat> like I said before, like I'd have my room tossed on a regular basis, kind of like how they'd, you know, toss a prison cell looking for contraband. But in my case, it was implements of spirituality, you know, it was like books, it was incense, it was candles, things like that. And that was, uh, and of course, all that would be followed by raging and screaming and all the rest. And so that really left a bad taste in my mouth uh, when it came down to it. And there was a point where I finally did just give up and just surrender, where, you know, you can only, like like they say, you can only, any dog, if beaten, beaten long enough, turns mean. And there was a turning point where I just became mean, where finally I just accepted that, okay, well, if I'm bad, then I might as well just be bad. Like, fuck all of you. Like, there's no hope for any of you. The only thing that really, that I'd really seen as a general rule in life up until that point was that people hurt people. And that was pretty much it. Yeah, there's there's the rare exceptions, and God bless them. And they were the shining beacons that kind of give you hope. But when I finally just accepted that hope wasn't for me, and if I was alive in a world where people hurt people, well, then I might as well just hurt whomever I please and not feel bad about it whatsoever. Now, I didn't just run around. I didn't contribute to it. I didn't contribute to the cancer. But I did adopt almost a religious view of just destroying <laughs> the cancer. The one thing that made me uh, homicidally angry was a sadist in action. And still to this day, I do bear a little bit of that from that time period. The if I see genuine sadism, like somebody actually getting off on the pain and suffering of others, it does fill me with like a murderous rage, even to today, even to present day. Working on it, you know, working on it, baby steps. But the, uh, so that's what I was like through most of my childhood. And of course, you know, you reject the cross and what are you going to take after that? Well, the going thing at the time was the pentagram. You know, I, got a, I grew up when... Uh, you know, Marilyn Manson was popular. And then, of course, Anton LaVey just came out with his church. And it was just that was the all of the church functions that I drug to. Um, this was always being portrayed as a symbol of the enemy. So I adopted it for my symbol as well. Although I do have to say that the symbol itself is just 
balance of earth-centered traditions. But what I was using it for was definitely not good. It was definitely not in line with goodness. I was pursuing bad with that symbol. And so there was one time I start, began a geometry class, actually. I got a little bit stoned. And it's the same pot that I'm smoking out of. Now, smoking pot was sort of a daily practice for me at that point. It was the same bag. It was the same marijuana that I'd had before and after. But at that particular moment, as these sort of growing up crazy experiences occur, there was nothing before it or after to signify that this would be a different moment, but it definitely was a different moment. Inside of the class, I started to see into the astral plane, and which was not uncommon for me, especially after I was stoned. That's why I enjoyed marijuana at the time. But I couldn't not see it. I couldn't focus on reality. And little by little, like with every breath I took, I would see more of the astral plane. And every breath I expelled, I would see less of physical reality to where sitting there in geometry class with my eyes open, I could not see physical, tangible reality. I was perceiving the astral plane directly with all of my senses and none of the 3D. And what I saw was I saw my own face on a pentagram, a glowing electric blue pentagram, which was covering a portal that looked like angry fire. And I've always seen, since I was a child, I've always seen my energy. Whenever I'm in the astral, I see my energy as like an electric blue, almost like a lightning blue. And, and then, but that's how I perceive my energy. And my face was also this electric blue. And then, and as I was staring at it, I couldn't escape it. I couldn't move away from it. It was, it was like, it wasn't like a lucid dream into where I had complete control. I had almost no volition of my own. Like I would try to pull away from it, but it would bring me back almost as if it was a force of gravity in itself. And at, my eyes opened and my head disappeared and the pentagram opened and I fell through this tunnel, this portal, anything. And it looked like rolling angst. It, it felt like rolling, roiling angst. And it looked like fire, the energy of anxiousness and hatred and jealousy and just everything and guilt and shame, all of that negativity, all the emotions that we assume that we identify as negative, it was composed of all of those things. And it was a tunnel and I fell through it. And at some point, I guess my head went down on the desk and I was, I was in the habit of sleeping during class a lot. So I'm guessing nobody noticed because if they had tried to shake me awake, it wouldn't have worked. And I was falling through this tunnel and perceiving the feeling of all these negative emotions. And they were mine. They were mine. I was attached to them. They were my feelings, all of them. And I fell through this tunnel until I finally landed in just this landscape where it was a never-ending, never-ending horizon to horizon. And it had a ceiling as well of floor and ceiling going on forever of just this roiling angst and pain and hate and all of these things. And I couldn't bear it. I couldn't bear it. My soul just screamed all the things that I, it was like all the things that I was doing to myself, all the things that I've done, all these things that I've been pursuing. I seeked choosing good and started choosing wrong, wrongness. And I would revel in the wrongness as almost like a shaking my fist at creation itself. Like, well, here we are, you know, I was born to this. So here we go. You know, I'll just take part. I'll, I'll act out my role. And this is, and I, but I decide what my role is. But then I really saw it and I saw what I was doing to myself on an energetic level. And I still don't know whether this was a within me, whether this was another place. I can tell you about my experiences of it after the fact. And, but in the moment of it, it was a never ending torment that went on forever. It was a never ending torment outside of time. 
that went on forever and I had done it to myself. That was my experience of this entire event. It was an inescapable torture that went on forever that I did to myself. God didn't do anything to me. The world didn't do anything to me. I had done all of this to myself. And I threw back my head, which it was all energetic, but I threw back my, my being and I cried out, Jesus, please, God, save me. And as soon as I made this call from the very depths of my soul, and those are the words I use, Jesus, please, God, save me. And from the depths of my soul, I cried out from the, the fundamental, from the basis of myself. And then this white light shot down, it pierced, it pierced the ceiling, it pierced everything, and it enveloped me, and it surrounded me. And as I surrendered to it, as I released to it, as I just let go and surrendered to it, I began to rise. And when I first arrived there, I didn't see any other consciousness but mine. I didn't real recognize any other consciousness but my consciousness that was there in that infinity. But as I released the angst, and as I began to rise up from that place, other consciousness began to make themselves known. And I started to feel almost like hooks or darts or javelins or or spears or some kind of energy of fear and angst and hatred and jealousy and I began having these feelings well up again inside of me and as I began to feel them I began to sink and I had to just let them all go and let them go and I did it just through just releasing there was no effort it was just complete simply and completely and utterly surrendering to the light and I rose up out of that place. And when I rose up out of that place, when I came back to the reality, although the astral was still overlaid upon the classroom, but I could see the classroom and I could see it enough, barely enough to function in that space. And I was able to excuse myself. I said, I, I'm not feeling good. And I just got up and left in the middle of class and I went to my grandfather's house to lay down because I still saw the astral. Uh, all around me. But after rising up out of that place, I was able to, to barely maintain. And thankfully, my grandfather lived just a couple blocks from the school and uh, didn't ask questions. There was times when I would actually lay down on his couch in the past because I'd have a migraine. So, and that's the first story. That is the first story, the, the, the hell and the, and the heaven of uh, growing up crazy. And my, I've said this, I've only told these stories to a small handful of people one of which was a Christian friend of mine who, who took the symbology as literal, like, absolutely, well, of course, you know, this is what it is, you know, you're dealing with hell and dealing with, and you, you found Jesus again and all these things. But that answer never really sat comfortably for me because it was so much more than that. Or so it would be like saying that because I saw the energy as electricity and electric blue, that it meant lightning, since it appeared to be like lightning, that that meant that the stories about Zeus are true. And, and, and it's not that it doesn't, it's not about the story. It's about the reality. Because what I finally, the, the conclusion that I finally came to is about the reality. That I was using the symbol of the pentagram and I was using it to invoke these negative things that I finally just accepted as my own and became attached to and used the weapons of what, I, you know, of my enemy as I saw it at the time. You know, the anger and the angst and the fear and the hate. I would just use it, the weapons of my enemy, you know. And, 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 my attachment to it, and, and I'll, I'll do a further reflection when I talk about the second part of this later, but it was my attachment to it that really drug me down to that place, and I do believe that I went to somewhere, and that's an actual, tangible place that you can go to, it's an astral place that you can't go to as energy, you know, where all of that energy is just stored in an infinite plane, 
where that resonance exists, more or less. And we call to that place, or we can become attached to that place through the decisions that we make in life. And crying out to Jesus, I do believe, like I've always believed, that there is a personal force that connects everyone and everything in the universe. And it is complete, and it is whole, and it is goodness, and it spans all of creation, and it spans all of time. All of the stories aside, whether Jesus embodied this or whether he was just describing it and something got lost in translation between the origins and the Southern Baptist tradition, I don't know. But whether or not he embodied it or whether or not he was just pointing to it, I don't think it matters because that personal force exists regardless. And it honestly doesn't care what name you use for it. I used the name of my youth. But even back then, I still wasn't ready to adopt that name. I wasn't ready at all. And I chose not to adopt that name. For the longest time, I actually called it the unknowable is in its unknowable isness. <laughs> that was the term that I used for, oh, decades. And um, I finally recently came around to using the language of my youth because I found that I had a problem with that vernacular. And if you've listened to any of the other previous recordings I've done, you realize that whenever I re understand that I have a problem with something, like a phobia, like a hang-up, whenever I have a hang-up about something, I, I, I face it, I approach it, and I go into it. And I decided, I realized that I had this hang-up around the language of my youth and around the teachings of my youth because they were always dealt with pain. And they were always dealt with judgment. They were always dealt out with shame. All of these things that I realized in, in intuitively, even as a child, did not go along with Christ, the teachings of Christ, with God, with goodness, or with godliness at all, whatsoever. I don't care what Old Testament verse you drag out to try to justify your position of beating your children. Bullshit. You threw a temper tantrum, and you hurt somebody smaller than you. I've rarely seen physical discipline administered in a proper fashion. And yes, there's a proper fashion for doing it, because you're trying to teach. And and they're not capable of understanding without that. And sometimes we just need physical boundaries. But those should be done dispassionately with an eye towards protection and teaching, establishing those physical boundaries. All the times I've ever seen corporal punishment administered by parents, it's in a peak of rage and it's a vengeance. So anyway, that being said, just to jump back, like I said, I realized that I had a problem with these things as a child, but I also realized that finally dawned on me is that the Southern Baptist Church of Indian Atlantic, Florida does not have a monopoly on the word Jesus or Christ. It doesn't have a monopoly on religion. That, that this is just a flash in the pan. And the more I started looking into the religion itself, one of the oldest surviving traditions that we have are the Coptic Christians that exist in Ethiopia. And they have church forests. And the whole point of people to enter the church forest is just to try to be, draw so close to God that they phase out of reality like Eli. <laughs> it's actually... It's actually absolutely everything that I've ever wanted to do. And what I dawned on me is that, that, wait a minute, the oldest surviving form of Christianity that exists in this world right now is actually almost completely in line with what I believe, with who I am, and with my goals. The hell with these people, these upstarts that believe that they have a monopoly on the doctrine of Christ, on the teachings of Christ. And the hell with anybody that uses the Old Testament for vengeance, you know? And so... That's where I'm at right now with the whole thing is because I do have a personal experience with being saved from myself, which is completely in line with the teachings of Christ. And not only do I have that, do I have this personal experience? I have a visceral experience. I do believe that this was a real event that actually occurred to me. And 
all it really took was just letting go of the pain and the suffering of my youth and acknowledging the truth that they do not own a monopoly on what it means to be Christ-like. And so that's why I use it right now. I use I use the, the Bible and the Christian theology right now in the same way that I'm using this podcast to just erase my personal history and draw closer to source. So cheers, growing up crazy, much love, wishing you all much love. We'll dive back into some of the details of this in the bonus material, but I just wanted to get this out there because I said I would. All right, everybody have a good rest of your day, and I'll be seeing you.